0: This is from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. I'm also reading from Romans 1. 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Y'all can be, be seated. Yeah, we're trying to get back into it. Now that we're in an expositional series, we're reading through um, a book of the Bible together, studying through the book of a Bible together. We are trying to get back into the rhythm of really lifting God's word high, and uh, therefore, that's why we have you stand, uh, because we consider it, obviously the most valuable part of the service here. So, um, so anyway, it's good to be back with you. How's everybody doing? <laughs> Woo, hey, I'm doing great. And here's the reason why, you know, I get to baptize my dad today. Isn't that amazing? So before uh, the second service, if, uh, if you, if you want to stay, we can pack this place out. It, it, is, it is the most miraculous conversion I have ever seen uh, in my life, so um, yeah, it's too way too early to cry in the sermon now. But um, we're entering a season uh, as a church that, for some of us, will be a season of having a solid foundation reinforced, and for others, uh, it will be a, a season of evaluating the foundation of that which we have built our lives upon. And no matter what it is for you, I pray that the next season of life for you in this church will be a season of tremendous transformation. Jesus closed out his Sermon on the Mount with the words that we just heard, that there are two ways to build a spiritual house, and that house is your life. He says that what's underneath the spiritual edifice of your life is what matters more than anything else. And what's that? The foundation. He says that there's this quick and cheap way to build your house or life that appears to be great until trial and suffering come and then the house collapses because of the weak and unstable foundation. But then there's this whole other way to build your life. says it's called Building Your Life on the Rock. The book of Romans is about building your life on that rock, church. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul, who we're gonna look at today, um, to a church that was confused and maybe even misled as to what salvation in Jesus was really all about. And in Acts 18, 1 and 2, we read about this couple that came from this church in Rome, a church that the Apostle Paul didn't plant, uh, a church that uh, he had heard about and was encouraged about. But what uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 tells us is that the, the Roman Emperor, uh, Emperor Claudius uh, heard about these Jewish believers and uh, was threatened by them and expelled them from Rome for up to five years And so you have these Jewish believers being extracted out of the church that they helped to plant in Rome, and then what you have left are these new Gentile Roman believers trying to make sense of the mysteries of God. And as you can bet, there was a lot of confusion in the church. And so what Paul proceeds to do is to write uh, the most robust uh, description of what salvation in Jesus Christ is. In other words, and what it means to build your life on the rock. That's what the book of Romans is all about. I want to share an illustration with you today, um, because in our day, there is um, there is a, a lot of confusion about what the gospel is. We throw around gospel this and gospel that. What is the good news? What's it all about? about, and what function does it serve in the life of the believer? Many of us have come to faith in Jesus through the gospel in this room. Not all of us, but many of us have. And it seems that the gospel was news to get us into the kingdom of God, but now we must get to work to build that kingdom. And the explosive power of conversion is what is supposed to give us that energy. I call this a launchpad gospel foundation. I think we got some graphics up here that'll help tell the story here. Wanda, you wanna throw those up there for us? So the launchpad gospel, keep going here. So it's this idea that the gospel propels us into the kingdom, and then we must get to work to build that kingdom. And so we get all this energy to get us into orbit, and then it's up to us. This is the way most of the church in America thinks about the gospel of Jesus. Did you know this? It is why we base so much of our joy, contentment, and happiness on our own good works instead of God's good son. Uh, It is why we feel so confused when we endure seasons of trial and suffering, when we endure seasons of our own infliction through disbelief uh, and sin. It's why our joy is so rattled in those moments. But I think that there's this other way to live. This way where the gospel uh, has this present tense value that doesn't just, uh, it's not just in our conversion when we come to receive Jesus, but it's it's, uh, solidified and fortified as we build our spiritual house on this foundation. And this is this idea of a foundational gospel. I love what Colossians chapter 1 says about this. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae that may have had some confusion about the gospel as well. He says this, he says, of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, uh, the gospel which has come to you, church in Colossae, it's come to you, church, here at New City in Lawrenceville, as indeed in the whole world, here's what the gospel is doing right now. It is bearing fruit and it's increasing, it's growing. As it also does among you, church at Colossae, Church in Lawrenceville, New City Church, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, it's bearing fruit and increasing in our lives. So it's not that we got this huge dose of gospel at our conversion and we just gotta figure it out from there, which is how we base a lot of our lives but it's that it is a fortifying truth that we only deepen in over time, that we only come to trust the foundation more and more over time. If we were to add levels to your house, the the, the reality of the strength of your foundation would become more noticeable, wouldn't it, right? And so for us, as our lives are being built, as our lives are, being, uh, are increasing in this knowledge and, and bearing fruit, the reality of how strong that foundation is becomes more apparent to us. You know, we tend to think about gospel growth in terms of width, not depth. The book of Romans is about depth before width. And and where does this leave the church when we do that? It leads us a mile wide and an inch deep, doesn't it? And if there's anything for us, friends, that the last two and a half years of what we've experienced, it's, it's served as a depth finder for believers, isn't it? It served to show us the foundation of our faith and how deep our faith really is. So over the next seven or so months, Dwayne said 26 sermons, but I added a sermon today because I was supposed to preach seven verses, so sue me, it's gonna be great. Um, We are gonna explore and we're gonna mine out the depths of the gospel together. And it's my prayer that we find that what Jesus has done and who we are in him is a bottomless wellspring of life that we can be fed by. So here's kind of where we are going today. Um, It's this idea that we all have various callings in this life, but there's only one calling that feeds and gives life to everything else the Lord calls you to, and that is our call to belong to Jesus Through the gospel. So here's our big idea. The call to God is the key to discovering the call of God in our lives. Would you say that with me? The call to God is the key to discovering the call of God in our lives. Perfect. You guys are great this morning. It's going to be awesome. Um, So, what we're going to look at is this idea of the power of belonging to Jesus. And what we're going to discover is that life has both effectual calling in Jesus and it has a bunch of other ineffectual calls that are vying for your life. On your phone, every time you pick it up, there is a call that is vying for your life. When you sit in traffic on 85 and you look up at those billboards that a bunch of big businesses paid a lot of money for, they are vying for your life. There are lots of ineffectual calls around us and there is one effectual call and that's the call to Jesus. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at a huge chunk of scripture this morning, Romans chapter one, verse one. And as we consider the author, we consider the Apostle Paul in our own lives, it's gonna cover significant ground, and it's this idea of calling. A guy named Oz Guinness wrote this great book on calling. It's called The Calling, and here's what he says about calling for us. He says, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything that we are, that everything that we do, And everything that we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and his service. In other words, there are two stages to the call uh, to God for the believer. What reformers have called from church history, people have called for years, 500 years, the primary call to God, the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus, and the secondary call, which is to see and to do everything from the foundation of that primary call to God. Now, the first call is to belong to God in Christ. That is the first call on your life this morning. It's to solidify our lives on the rock of who he is And the second call is to aim everything else that he brings into our lives to come under the dominion and reign of that first call. That is what the scriptures teach us about this. But most of all the sinful things that you and I will get ourselves caught into in our lives and in this week is wrapped up in the result of reversing the order of these two callings. It's wrapped up in this idea that we get so focused on this secondary calling, whether that's a role in your life, uh, a vocation, uh, uh, a a pursuit of something in your life, that it doesn't come under the reign of that primary call to God in Christ. And we put all of our weight in our secondary callings, and we beg them to give us the visible satisfaction that only belonging to Jesus can give us. So let me play this out a little bit for you here okay? Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul's at this place where he's just wrestling through his sanctification, and he says, wretched man am I. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Whenever you're struggling through the primary and the secondary calling in your life, that's essentially what you're asking. Who can give me life? So let's think about it like this. Let's just say that you were to put a Help Wanted ad. Maybe you put it up on, I don't know, monster.com or something. It's like a job. Like, so you're looking to hire someone, right? Uh, maybe it's in Indeed or maybe Craigslist. Nah, we don't use Craigslist anymore. It's weird now. But um, And it says this, like, Help Wanted, wretched man in search of deliverance of death. I mean, isn't that what we're asking every morning when we wake up? We know that death is in front of us. Um, and so... And so work with me on this. You begin to get some callbacks on this, right? And, uh, and you're getting pretty excited because you need some relief from this wretched man that you are, this wretched woman that you are that, that embodies this body of death. And so you have a few interviews set up, and you open the door. The first guy comes in, and he says this, Hi, Ryan. It's good to see you. I'm your job. I'm your vocational calling. And let me show you a resume full of ways that I'm gonna help you be successful. You're never, ever going to have to wonder what to talk about at those parties anymore. I'm gonna give you a litany of things to brag about. If you just work later and harder than anyone else and put your total faith in me, it's going to be really, really good. And best of all, Everyone you love, uh, everyone will love you uh, because of it. And he leaves and you think to yourself, hmm, seems like a nice guy. Maybe I'll give that guy a call back. Next up, uh, you open the door again. Ryan, it's me, your role as a dad, your role as a parent. I'm here to deliver you from that body of death through the massive success your kids are going to have in life. I know it sounds crazy but just look at my reviews we've been able to get our clients to give everything to us time and money and we've even gotten some kids amazing scholarships in light of that sacrifice You shut the door okay same thing seems like a pretty good idea right The next one is a, is a great one my personal favorite hey, Ryan, it's me. He's kind of nerdy, right? He's kind of talking a little like this. And and uh, he says, I'm here to deliver you from your body of death. I'm financial security. I'm I'm uh, If you just give me a few minutes to open my briefcase, I've put together some projections and forecasted your future. I think you're really gonna like what you see from what I have to offer. And you shut the door and think the same thing, right? The next one, the last one, Uh, is this, and he walks in, and he says, Ryan, what's up, bro? It's me, the pursuit of pleasure. I'll never stop showing you a good time. In our extensive research, we can show you that our clients never get bored because we keep inventing new ways to entertain them. I can't promise you much, but I can promise you it's going to be a good time. Friends, you laugh, (laughs) but it's true, isn't it? All of these secondary callings, and the list is expansive, that vie for your attention, just leave us exhausted. And they all promise to give us life, and none of them can deliver. They never really answer the question of how they can actually deliver us from this body of death, and you and I need to be delivered from it. Friends, Paul was the same way as us he tried on many secondary callings to find life in, and none of them worked. And that's why he wrote this letter to us. There's nothing wrong with any of these callings to vocation uh, or to pleasure or or intellect or any other other calling you might have in life, any other thing about you. The problem is when we disproportionately put weight in these callings to the neglect of the primary upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we functionally place our secondary callings as the foundational calling of our life, we find ourselves in places we never imagined that we would be. We find ourselves in crazy places of unbelief and rebellion against God. And it's in those moments that we look up and what do we say? How in the world did I end up here? Selling my soul for something that's not even inherently evil. And ultimately, we find these callings in our lives when we put the full force of our weight in them, ineffectual callings. In other words, they do not give us what they promise. They don't work. They are failed promises of belonging. So let's look at Paul's journey here. Romans chapter 1-1. I hope you like those little... um, Uh, Romans uh, books There, you got, a place to take notes and journey with us uh, through uh, this beautiful letter that Paul wrote. He says this, listen listen to the the language that he used. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You know, I find Paul's journey so interesting because after his conversion, it's almost like he's always, asking himself the same question over and over and over again, and it comes out in different ways. He's asking this question, who am I? Who am I? He's not afraid to ask the question either, who am I? Where does my significance come from? What is my foundation of this earth? I, I would beg to, to ask you the same question, right? It's probably a question we don't ask ourselves enough, who am I? And that's, that's because it's a question that most of us and our core are terrified To really, really answer from an honest place. So if someone this is why, if someone were to ask us, who are you? which is the question that we don't ask, by the way, we would say things like, I'm an engineer, or I'm a mama four, or I'm a Republican, or whatever it would be for you, right? Fill in the blank. And Paul did the same thing before he came to faith in Jesus at that Damascus Road experience that he had in Acts chapter 9. This week, I would encourage you to go back and just read about that. I don't have time to hit it today. But it was that moment in his life when he realized how lost he really was. Philippians 3 3, uh, through 11 uh, is basically him talking about all the ways he used to find his life in his secondary calling. Um, he, He used to think of himself as being the Hebrew of Hebrews. Big deal in the day, not a big deal to you. I get it, but work with me circumcised on the eighth day, right? A Pharisee, a zealous persecutor of the church. He was active in his faith and zealous for the law of God. He goes on to say all of these things, all of these ways that he used to build his life on his secondary calling. We would write different things, but if, if you're a Christian, uh, there is, a, there is a, a part of your life where you could write, you could fill in the blank in your own Philippians 3, 3 through 11, Right? the the way that you used to find your identity and your secondary calling. Until he realized something after he met Jesus at Damascus, that every single other calling in his life paled in comparison to the surpassing worth of belonging to Jesus. None of them can deliver Paul from death. None of them can deliver us from death. Listen to what Paul said, would go on to say about them. He says this in Philippians 3. Whatever gain I had, I had to learn to count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, every secondary calling as if it were loss. Not that it doesn't matter, but as if if it were loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I have to count them as rubbish, as excrement, right, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ in what? Be found in him, right? And that's what we're looking for, is to be found in him. We, we wanna belong to Jesus. Paul says this is the way. This is the main call for Paul. It's the main call for us. And he says it doesn't matter how big and how bad your Philippians 3 list is this morning, Those other things are seeking to rob your identity, rob you of your identity in Christ. And if we get the order wrong, we will be absolutely miserable in this life. And so in Paul's letters, how does he start them? If you you go and look, he starts out with with how he does here in Romans chapter one. Almost every letter, he says, hi, I'm Paul. You know, that's my Roman name, not my Jewish name, uh, which is Saul. I can relate to all of you in Rome, I was called by Jesus, I, I, I wasn't looking for him, I was called by him. He was looking for me and he found me. You need to know that about me before you listen to what I write to you about him. He found me and now it is my joy to tell you that I'm sold out for Jesus. In fact, the, the word that he uses is the word for slave or bond servant here. Um, he says, I'm an apostle. And that's a role for me because Jesus manifests himself personally to me as he did the other apostles. You have your own role, but that's my role. That's how he starts his letter to the Romans out. That's how he starts almost every other letter that he writes out because he's asking the question, who am I? And he's telling them who he is first and foremost because they've heard stories about him. He starts every letter like that, but how does he start every sermon that he preaches in the book of Acts? Well, nearly every sermon you can look at sermons from Acts chapter 22 or Acts chapter 26 before he, when he's before King Agrippa. And how does he start? He starts by telling them his story because he's asking the question, who am I? And he, he can't get over the fact that he has this new identity in Christ and he wants to base everything upon it. He wants all of those secondary callings as a tent maker or whatever it would be based on that idea that he belongs to God through Christ. And this is the most important thing that we have to know about ourselves and believe about ourselves, that I belong to God because Jesus came and found me and rescued me. And now my whole life is based on that truth. So what's our journey to belonging? In light of this, we ask ourselves the same question that Paul asked himself, who am I? Who am I acting like in this moment? whose am I right now? Where am I placing the weight of my identity in this very moment? You see, when Jesus calls him to himself and we receive this new identity, it's what theologians call an effectual calling, meaning that the calling of God through the gospel takes effect when the spirit of God permeates our hearts with the word of God and we are transformed you see, we spend our lives searching out for calling, and it doesn't take us very long to hit a bunch of dead ends, does it? I, I, I mean, I, I, can sense, I can sense it when I'm looking for identity in something else. I don't know if you can, but I can sense it. And it's on a week in, week out, some, sometimes a day in, day out basis. And a calling it's a calling that cannot save us or give us the life that we desperately crave when we're going after those. So what I wanna close our time out is thinking about this idea of the power of an effectual calling. Now, there's some documents that were written uh, during the Protestant Reformation. One of them is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And question 31 is really all about this idea of what is an effectual calling? What does it look like when God actually raises someone up from the dead? What's true? And he says there's three things that really happen in their life. A work of the Spirit that leads us to embrace Jesus as he's offered in the gospel has three components, and what are they? It's that we become convinced and convicted of the misery of our sin. There is no new life unless that is first true. The second one is this, our minds are enlightened to the knowledge of Christ. All of a sudden, Jesus is good news, not bad news. Third thing is this, our wills are renewed, meaning that we, uh, we have a new uh, manifesto of life. We have a new thing that we're going after. Our behaviors follow our beliefs. So let's look at that first part here. We become convinced and convicted of the misery of our own sin. This is the first thing that happens when we are called to Jesus uh, and the Spirit brings us to life. It confronts our sin, and it's for this reason. This is why you can't bolt Jesus onto good moralistic behavior, because there is no good news unless there is bad people right? That's the truth. I know it's really hard to hear. We talk about it a lot, so you're used to it if you're around here a lot, but it's the best and most true thing I can tell you. Jesus, we will mute the good news of the gospel if we don't see ourselves as desperately wicked people who are hopelessly lost without it. And so we talk about it a lot here. So, you know, uh, so this is the first thing that happens uh, in an effectual calling when we're raised from the dead. I was with a dad at a ball game. This week we've been at a lot of ball games recently. Some of you can relate. Um, watching, we're watching our girls play softball, and I was asking, you know, you know, you you start to get past the small talk eventually, right? When you got three games in a week, and so we're sitting on the stands, and I was like, "Hey, man, tell me how you guys met. I'd love to know more of your story." And he said something that was really interesting. And maybe he'll listen to this and laugh, but uh, he says, "Well, it's really not a, a PG kind of story that would be appropriate." Uh, for this Christian school audience, if you know what I mean. He said, just put it like this. It had to do with college spring break. (laughs) And he kind of muted it a little bit. And I I look back at him, I said, man, that's exactly the story my kids need to hear. Amen? That's the story they need to hear. They need to hear how bad sin is, how good Jesus is. They need to hear the rawness and pain of living outside of God's design. They need to hear how Jesus met you and he's making you new in spite of you. They do not need to just hear this kind of muted narrative of, well, at least we're following God now. They need to hear the real story. Why are we so afraid to shine a light on our sin? John Stott said said this, he he has this love-hate relationship with the book of Romans that you will probably have by the time we're finished too because of its joyful and painful challenges for us that ultimately deepen us he says he says this he said it was it was Paul's devastating, I love the word it was Paul's devastating exposure of universal human sin and guilt in Romans look how long this passage is 118 through 320. I mean a couple of verses would have been good but we got three ch- y'all don't y'all don't bug out on me I want you to show up he said, which rescued me from the kind, here's what we're rescued from, the kind of superficial evangelism which is preoccupied with only people's felt needs. woo The power of our own calling to God must be foundationally based upon the reality of our bondage to sin. The enemy, this world and our flesh, are into distorting our realities. They're into the minimization of sin, the glamorization of idolatry, and the cheapness of living for the moment. And in reality, our condition is far worse than we could ever imagine on our own. It's far worse. But the culture around us, and even a lot of times the church, is into convincing us that it's not really that bad. And what happens is the good news isn't really that good when we do that. And so Paul goes at length to show us that we're all on the hook. And we need to hear that if the good news is gonna be really good news. Because the bright light of God's forgiveness and grace in Jesus lies against the deep, dark background of sin. And I want that bright light. I don't know about you. So, so not only do we need to be convinced of the misery of our sin if we're gonna be called to Jesus. But something else beautiful happens. Our minds are enlightened to the knowledge of Christ. Think about Paul's story. He was on the way to persecute Christians. Romans, or Acts chapter nine. Literally on the way. He's like, hey, I'm going after them. I'm gonna punish them. I'm gonna see some of them killed, or at least I'm gonna approve of it. I'm going after them. We're getting these guys out of here. And the Lord meets them, blinds them for three days. And something like scales fall off his eyes when his heart, and his mind are finally enlightened to the knowledge of Christ. You see, for Paul, it was not an information problem. Did you know this? Most of the people that you wrestle with the gospel with, that you pray that they would become followers of Jesus, it's not an information problem for them. Most everyone that we know has somewhat of a knowledge of what Jesus has done. It is a spiritual condition problem that only the Holy Spirit can change. I mean, guys, If you stick around, you're going to hear me talk a little bit about this. But I watch this same thing happen over and over and over again like it happened to Paul. I shared this book that you have in your hands, the letter to the Romans, with my father 20 years ago. And I proceeded to do so at least once a year, just a full-blown kind of Romans road, laid the whole thing out there with him almost every year with him. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I did it in my bedroom on a Friday night when I was 16 years old. And it bounced off a stone-cold heart for 20 years. And the temptation for me was to believe, I must have been in the way I did it. Maybe I can get a little slicker with the presentation, you know what I mean? But maybe maybe it's the timing. Maybe I should catch him in a better mood. No, his heart was stone-cold, it was dead. No life. But when the word of God hits a heart that's been made new, it is good news. This is why when you'll see folks like my, there's other people in the church, but just using my dad as an example today, you'll sit next to me scouring the Bible as we're in church. If you would have told me that that would have ever been possible, I would have said, you are absolutely crazy. It's amazing what God does when he wakes a heart up from the dead and gives them new life. That's what he's doing in this church. That's what he's doing in us as we base that foundation on him. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, and and it proves this point that I'm talking about here. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Friends, unbelievers cannot help but be unbelievers. Do you know that? It sounds crazy, but why do we expect people who have no faith in Jesus, who have no pulse in their heart, to act like followers of Jesus. It's crazy to me, right? He says, the God of this world's blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. I don't proclaim Paul, the the Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, Pharisees, zealous for the persecution of the church. I don't proclaim that anymore. I don't proclaim who I thought I was. I proclaim who I am in Jesus. He says, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, is what Paul says, this is the feel of an effectual call. In a world that cannot invent enough ways to proclaim ourselves, right? We offer ourselves as servants proclaiming the gospel. Friends, the best evangelism. Is the gospel in motion in your everyday life? I think a lot of times we think about, oh yeah, these people, you're gonna, you're gonna walk out here today, you're gonna think about people that you know that don't know Jesus. Or you're gonna think about, you're gonna ask yourself the question, do I really know Jesus? And that's okay, I want you to ask those questions. But your temptation is gonna be to put something kind of slick and subtle together, kind of make it happen, sneak in there and see Jesus juke you know, these folks into faith. It's not how it's gonna happen though. The most effective evangelism is the gospel on display in your life every single day. And not from this, this, this beautiful kind of proclamation I've got my life together. It's, it's, in, this, it's in this fallenness of, of them seeing how broken your life is, but how the foundation is secure even in your brokenness. And God is making all things new as you are even willing to confess your sin before other people, even unbelievers, because you are so secure in Jesus. That is evangelism that will preach, friends. And so what would that look like for you today to realize that your mind has been enlightened in Christ if it has, and that God's will is to let that light shine out of you in every nick and cranny of your brokenness, to shine out of it. Not only that, but he says, gotta be willing to be convinced of the misery of our sin. Mind's gotta be acknowledged, our Uh, enlightened by the knowledge of Christ, but our wills are also renewed. Now, this is the place that we're tempted to start, isn't it? We wanna look the part. I mean, let's be honest. I like looking the part. I know you're up here thinking, like, he looks the part. I get it. I'm broken, okay? (laughs) Nathan, you thought that was a little too funny. But um, I think it's this idea that in the world and in the church that we should expect kind of this moralistic kind of threshold. But the reality is, is that we're all in bondage to sin, and we function out of that brokenness unless we are made alive in the gospel. And then we still don't do it perfectly, right? We, friends, you cannot take, I cannot take one step toward God without the Holy Spirit making me alive and pursuing me. Can't take one step toward him. Why? Because we love because what? Is that, y'all know that verse. Great job, by the way. Um, but it seems like the order is important in that verse, right? It seems like the order is important. Paul is reminding himself over and over and over and over again that I wasn't looking for God. He was looking for me and he found me. And because he loved me, I can love other people. How in the world are you going to love other people when you forget that God loves you? How in the world? There's no way we're gonna be able to love with the love of Christ when we have forgotten the love that which he has loved us. If you're here and you're interested in Jesus, I just want you to know one thing. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. You may not have crossed that threshold yet, but he's at work in you. If you're in here and you're interested in Jesus as a follower of Jesus, it's because he's solidifying and fortifying that foundation that he laid years ago in you, and he's not going to stop until he returns. And here's how we know we've received this call from God and we're learning to live out of it, putting our secondary callings in the right place. We're convinced of the misery of our sin and we're ready to abandon it. And we have to abandon it over and over and over again. Our minds are enlightened and we want to know Jesus and our wills are being renewed day by day. We're wanting to follow him because many people try to discern their calling from God before they sit in their calling to God. Friends, this may be a season, may this be a season for you and for New City Church where we are learning to abide, to sit in the gospel long enough to be changed by it. And in conclusion, we've we've called this series not a shame. Romans 1:18 talks about 116. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. but why have we called it this? Why have we hung our whole kind of theme on that? Because there is an inherent shame that comes from abiding in Jesus in this dark world, even for the church. We're ashamed of His humility. We wish He was stronger. We're ashamed of His strong demands that there are that there, there that there is a lifestyle that follows belonging to Him. We're ashamed of His ethics that are so clear in the Bible. We're ashamed of his vulnerability and his transparency, and that's why we hide his light under a basket at our work, in our marriage, and in our neighborhood because of the shame that we feel because of Jesus. And the call for all of us during this next season is to be confronted with that shame and to more deeply receive and live out of that upward call that we have in him. And may our confidence in the good news about Jesus lead to sweeping revival in our own hearts and in our city because he is good and his love endures forever. Let's pray together. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.